the Digital Leaders Podcast, Episode 5, Jacqueline DeRocas. Technology is changing the way we connect, learn, and do business. On this season of the Digital Leaders Podcast, we sit down with some of the UK's most influential thought leaders in government, enterprise, and entrepreneurship to learn more about what they are doing to digitally transform themselves and the organizations they lead, why it matters, and what we can do as listeners to build our own prosperous, digitally enabled and connected communities. The time is now, the place is the Digital Leaders Podcast, and the future is digital. Hi guys, and welcome to episode five of the Digital Leaders Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the president of Tech UK and former chair of Digital Leaders, Jacqueline DeRocas. Jacqueline was raised in England, and long before she established a career in tech, Jacqueline aspired to have a career as a journalist for the BBC. In an attempt to escape structure in the UK, she decided to go to university in Germany, of all places, where she studied European business and, not surprisingly, came to develop a fond appreciation for structure. In addition to her role at Tech UK, Jacqueline has just wrapped up her annual role as Chair of Digital Leaders, a national organization that seeks to make digital transformation accessible to everyone in the UK. As a result of her work earlier this year, Jacqueline was awarded a CBE for services to international trade in the technology industry and won Advocate of the Year at the Women in IT Awards for her efforts getting more women into tech. On today's show, Jacqueline shares what initiatives Tech UK has undergone to increase diversity and inclusion in the tech sector, how organizations with at least one woman on their board can reduce their risk of bankruptcy, and how technologies like AI can improve gender diversity in the workplace. So without further ado, please welcome Jacqueline DeRocas. All right. So thank you for being on the show today, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me, Tara. So before we get started talking a little bit about what you're doing right now with Tech UK and digital leaders, I wanted to ask you, when were you first exposed to the opportunities in the tech world? Well, I have to tell you, Tara, that I absolutely did not design a career in technology. It's, it's really interesting, given that I now have over a 30-year career in it. However, I had the ambition to become a newscaster on the BBC. And really? so, yes. And so I, was, I really wanted on your side of the desk, not my side of the desk. And it's really funny, isn't it? So I went to Germany to do a degree in European business. And the reason I went to Germany was because... I thought I need to escape structure and I want to go and do something really exciting. And Germany was the furthest country I could think of at well, my young age. That's really <laughs> interesting that you said to escape structure, you wanted to go to Germany. They don't exactly strike me as oh, exactly. <laughs> which I found out very quickly when I got there. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm only one minute late. The train's gone. What? <laughs> exactly right. There was absolutely nothing um, that, uh, that wasn't, um, organized and in straight lines. And, and actually I have turned out to be a person who loves straight lines and loves structure and process. So I think that's really interesting as well. 
you always run away from the things that you actually long for too, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, so you went over to Germany for... Yeah, a degree in European business. And funnily enough, I got there, and I know you'll find this amusing, but I did not actually expect every single lesson to be in German. And I know that sounds really strange. I sort of thought I'd learn German, but then when I got into you know, productions, management, accounting, economics, I thought that was a surprise. We did that in German. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have to up my game here because I had A-level German, which okay. was, you know, it's okay, but it was schoolgirl A-level German. It wasn't worldly German. Um, and it wasn't in the language of economics and uh, technical language that I needed for that. Certainly. So it's probably more conversational. If yeah, totally. So I had to, I had to get my, you know, get my, um, up my game. I had to up my game and make sure that I could understand the lectures and then produce the required homework that was associated with those lectures. So that, that was a shock. And it took me probably, three to six months to really settle in and then I absolutely loved it and I stayed for four years and for a few years more I worked in Germany so it couldn't have been all bad um, but to answer your question how did I get into tech I came back to London having to earn some proper money and you know and find accommodation and so on and I was offered a job in technology recruitment oh yes and so I was selling people into jobs in the technology industry and even then you know it was hard to find great talent so I did that for two years and then I decided that selling a product that talked and had emotions and ideas of their own was much harder than being in the technology industry so I went to work for my biggest client <laughs> <laughs> makes sense makes sense yeah, yeah. And uh, that was that was great and actually they wanted me this was a bizarre scenario they wanted me because they couldn't understand what their german distributor was saying to them so they wanted me to run their international business which include the germanic area amazing um, it wasn't a technology reason and that actually is a really interesting shout out to all the listeners here that you don't have to be a technician or technical to get into the tech world as a career definitely definitely and i think we're we're seeing that more so now more than ever because yes. more companies now more than ever are tech companies, but there are so many skills required other than the straight technical skills. No longer is a career in tech associated with, you know, sitting in the basement coding 24 seven or something like that. No, I think that's true. And, you know, it is, there are so many different roles. We have um, creative aspects to it, organizational aspects. And I would say that there is a job for anybody inside a technology business because everybody's going to have to embrace the digital future. Very true. So can we talk a little bit about your role as the president of Tech UK? Because I actually first met you almost a year and a half ago. And I'm not going to lie, I was very impressed that there was a woman at the helm of Tech UK. And I, I, I don't want that to sound bad but you know that's very that's not necessarily the norm in in other countries would you would you agree I think it is uh you know surprising but it was surprising when I when I got to tech I was actually called by the CEO of Tech UK and he said to me I hear you're 
company is resigning as a member from Tech UK, I'd really like you to stay. And I said, absolutely not. I've got no money, no time. And I'm not interested in your agenda. It was very dismissive, I have to say. And I'm even saying it in a dismissive way. Anyway, he, um, being the brilliant businessman that he is, he turned around and said, come on, come and help me change it. And wow. I went along to the first board meeting, Tara, and we went to a very traditional building there were oil paintings of um, male leaders on the walls. Um, it was the kind <laughs> of board meeting. The white wigs and <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It was the kind of board meeting where you think, right, kill me now, because actually everyone around the table was literally um, voting and leaving. There was no strategic debate which um, would change the world. And, and that's not my style. So I said, I said, I think I've joined the wrong board, so I'm immediately resigning. <laughs> he persuaded me to stay, and I said, okay, well, if I stay, then I can't come to meetings where nothing happens and we don't talk about anything of significance. I cannot bear it when the things that I engage with or choose to use my time with don't make a difference. So... That's, that was where I was coming from. And I thought we could do so much with this organization. The question is, you know, how fast were they prepared to embrace the change? And actually to their credit, they have rebranded, they've repositioned Tech UK, and it really is a very credible voice of the technology industry. And today informs government on policy, and creates conditions for the technology industry to thrive. So I am super delighted that I did stay. And of course, one of the things that we are very committed to is diversity because I decided at that very early stage that I wanted my input to mean something. I started, by the way, as deputy president. I didn't start as president. And um, I made diversity and inclusion the flag that I was going to wave on the board. And since then, if you are a board member of Tech UK, you have a flag under which you know you 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 fly your colours of what's important to you as, as a human. So we have people who care about cyber, who care about data, who care about um, public sector, you know, all sorts of things. And I think that's really much more meaningful on a boardroom full of senior execs. Do you think that it's important that organizations have diversity at the board level? I think two things. One is that fish rots from the head down. Um, so <laughs> if, if we don't get it right at the top, we have definitely got a, a rotten old smelly fish. So I think that that's, that's one thing I would say. And I think on, on another note, which is a bit more nuanced, I believe that all leaders are role models, whether they choose to be or not. And because our behaviours are copied, whether they are good behaviours or bad behaviours. And so that is why having leaders at the top of the organisation that reflect the culture, the values and the direction and strategic direction of the business is super important. I agree. And so, so you've been president for, is it five years? Yes five years for nearly five years actually I have been president for four and a half years right coming up on five years yeah. coming up on five years yeah. and um you know you there's organizations like 
girls who code, move the dial, text she can. So I guess my question to you is, do you think the UK is doing enough to increase the number of women working in tech? So I think as a country, we have what I would call pinpricks of ecstasy. So there are of ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> so we have amazing things going on in concentrated areas. And, you know, our job is to join the dots and make sure that we create momentum for everybody. And actually, we talk about gender diversity, but diversity in all its forms, because if we don't encourage minority groups in our sector, then they become excluded from the digital revolution and risk becoming disadvantaged even further. So that is why it's really important. Are we doing enough? We are having a great time as conversationalists about mm. diversity. Okay. So there is no question, and I think you have heard it a lot, Tara, as well, that we are having this conversation more and more. And to quote Helena Morrissey, you know, this is a good time to be a girl because the opportunities are certainly there for the taking. The question though is why have we still only got less than 20% of women in technology mm -hmm. and the number of girls taking computer at A level has declined by 70%. Why are boys four times more likely to take IT at GCSE level than girls? We have got a lot to do to bring everyone along the digital journey if we are to have a successful modern economy that works for everybody. Um, you mentioned some of the great programs that are happening. We also have launched together with the Tech Talent Charter, which means that we encourage companies to sign up to this charter. And it basically means you assign someone to wake up in the morning and worry about diversity inside your business. Right. Um, and you publish data about your progress and you create the conditions for um, diversity to thrive. So it's not hard to sign up to those pledges, but we also need to see more returners programs. And I think also get into communities that, really inspire girls to get into STEM, such as I'm a big advocate of the Girl Guiding Association, and they have adopted some STEM badges recently, which range from- Awesome. Yeah, right. So there are mm -hmm. 550,000 of them in the UK. And uh, we start with consent online and we go up to AI uh, badges. And I think those girls, they just love getting engaged. They don't, you know, they don't see any difference in what they're doing versus their male counterparts when they're, when they're going for their badges. And I think that's really amazing. Why should, why should they only learn about lanterns and crochet and making fires? I stem such a great opportunity well. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And there's probably more opportunity in, the, in STEM than fire making. <laughs> Well, you, I don't know the answer to that actually, but what I would say is, yeah, what I would say is that communities like Girl Guiding are voluntary. So the kids choose to go and 
the they are they do a lot of reverse mentoring through their rangers who are at the top of the age group for the girl guide so they mentor each other and they look up to each other and i think that's really interesting it's a bit different from school where you have to go to school um, so when you live more of a choiceful life i think you tend to take on things that you're passionate about so it works on all levels doesn't it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. certainly and i think i mean it's just exposure at that young age really yes. does make a difference. And, and, you know, we also just as an aside, we, we do all participate in stereotyping our kids at a very young age. It starts with, shall we paint the room pink or blue? Um, and I am not saying that that necessarily creates the problem, but what I would say, if you go into, you know, a clothing shop for kids and you see the blue t-shirt with genius written on it and the pink or yellow one with go make the world a prettier place written on it. You do tend to see those stereotyping issues coming through. Those messages are subtle, but they are powerful and mm -hmm. they make a difference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would much rather see more empowering messages on that stereotyping at a young age. And, and actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but Mattel, who own the Barbie doll, they've got this great campaign which says, you know, we inspire you to be whoever you want to be. And they've got girls, they've got a coder, they've got a female astronaut. And it's so exciting that they've got these new types of Barbie, not just the, you know, the, the old... Uh, right, the princess. Princess <laughs> or, and the queen, you know, and right. I think that's really cool. That's a great rework of a brand for that business but also really good messages for young girls and kids agreed that's awesome that is, i didn't know that that's very good yeah it really is and I, you know i think the other thing is that diversity is critical across all sectors uh, when we look at the tech sector specifically for tech to work for everyone um, we can't just have the same type of people innovating or understanding how tech can improve the lives of our society because this is why as an example the seatbelt killed women and children when it was first invented because it was built by men and that is exactly what will happen in a very fast moving tech business if we don't have diversity around the table when it comes to developing great tech. That is so, so cool. Yeah, I didn't know that, but that makes total sense. It was created yes. with one point of view with one, you know, yeah, perspective in mind and had to be, how to evolve so that um, it saved everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. So, you know, I think that's why we need to have so many um, initiatives out there. There is no silver bullet on diversity for sure, but there are some things that we can start working together on and create even more momentum I think the mandatory gender pay gap reporting has definitely thrust gender disparities into the spotlight. And it's really interesting because people often say to me, the gender pay gap, you know, are the metrics right? Are they not right? But actually one of my um, favorite mentors called Margaret Heffernan said to me, well, Jacqueline, it's not about the metrics that we used in the gender pay gap reporting that are really immaterial what really matters is that the money and influence lies with the people who are paid the most and so that's why gender pay gap reporting matters and when you look at industries like the retail sector for example 
only 8% of women in retail actually hold P&L positions uh, and run the money part of those businesses. So it's clear that money and influence, therefore in retail, is not really in the hands of a diverse group of people. And that probably is what the gender pay gap reporting tells us. And mm. I think that's fascinating, don't you? Yes, certainly, definitely. Uh, the, the thing that is exciting is I agree with that um, statement 100%. And like you said earlier, I think the thing that is exciting is that things are changing, finally. Yes. It certainly is. I mean, you know, we, I, I saw a statistic yesterday which said that there are only eight companies in the FTSE that now have no women on their boards. And um, I'd love to know who the eight are, by yeah. the way, but I, I won't name and shame. <laughs> um, but, you know, can you imagine the pressure on that business? Mm -hmm. And it would be fascinating to see their performance metrics, I would think, because I do think that diversity creates better business outcomes. And I, I saw another stat which says one woman on a board can reduce the risk of bankruptcy by 20%. And well, that's then, reason alone. <laughs> exactly. And then by another 20% with, with every additional woman. So, you know, it's, but it's also about wider gender equality, getting women on the board to inspire future generations so that they have more ambition. And I think we can't really claim gender equality if we don't have women equally represented in the highest positions and in the corporate world. And that, that clearly is in the boardroom. For sure. Agreed. And what impact do you think that new technologies like AI will have on gender inclusion within the digital space? Certainly. I think technologies like AI can improve and can worsen gender and inclusion in digital. Um, we have seen ethnic minorities, lack of women involved in designing machine learning tools, as an example. And if you do that, and you build into your algorithms systems like mm, this facial recognition program is not recognizing people of color that is very concerning it yeah. will it, because we already have programs that will decide whether you tara or i jacqueline uh, are eligible for a loan or a place at university or housing benefit it's all done by machine. And if we get those algorithms wrong, and by wrong, I mean, if they are built by homogenous groups versus diverse groups, we will be excluding huge groups of people and we will be excluding them at speed, which I think is really, really concerning. So AI has got a real opportunity to improve gender and inclusion, but only if we have diverse teams in the design phase of all the algorithms. And I heard a very smart young data scientist called Dr. Larissa Suzuki. Um, she's very smart. And she taught me something very interesting, which was that for every pound of public money that is spent, we should insist that there is a diverse team uh, in the design phase of all of these algorithms. I think that's right because we can't keep pace with the rate of regulation that all of this new tech is going to need. So self-governance is going to be important. 
and to self-govern, the only way we can really do that is to have every person's voice represented at the table. And that means a diverse design team. And it's so clever because that would be a self-regulating break on making sure that we create AI with ethics in mind and that serves everybody's needs. And yeah, and exactly like you said, I think that one of your differentiating factors as a global leader is the diversity that you have um, access to that you, yes. have, you know, in the country. So you certainly wouldn't want to put things in place that would eliminate that. No, or that's right. But that is why having less than 20% of women in tech is concerning because we won't have enough people in the design teams. We'll have 20% of women on the design teams as an average. I know that's a sweeping generalization, but to put something in place, a policy in place that insists on full diversity engagement in the design of any algorithms that when public money is spent, that would be a great piece of policy to get through, I think. Are you guys doing that at Tech UK <laughs> when, you, when you talk to government? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, we, we, uh, we, are in, we poke government in the eye every day of the week in a good way to make sure that we create the best outcomes for everybody inside the tech industry. And, and the good news is that whilst the number of women uh, in tech and IT courses remains low, AI-focused courses actually have about 28% of female participation. And, and whilst it's still not enough, uh, and efforts must be made to increase gender and ethnic diversity in all those studying computer science, machine learning, AI. It's better than uh, any other stat I've seen. So, you know, I honestly think we have got some way to go, but we are making progress. And I have a sense that that progress is accelerating because of things like the Me Too campaign where right. women have found a voice. And that is important. It is I think a good time to be a girl. I agree. Um, all right, last question, then we'll get into our lightning round. Mm. What can organizations like digital leaders do to help, you know, make sure that we have diverse teams in our organizations in the UK? Well, I think digital leaders is such a great community where we talk about diversity in every forum that we create so the platforms are uh, diverse in their dna we don't have all male panels for example we have huge amounts of focus on how we can be more inclusive so we bring that conversation into the light and digital leaders is all about transformation and how we create leadership for our connected future and for long-term digital transformation i think when there's a hundred thousand senior leaders who all believe that economic growth is important, but social well-being is really important. And also we believe in narrowing social gaps. And that includes for not just women, but for every minority. And I think when you design your programs and your platforms with that in mind, it's it's much more likely that that you will make a difference. So I'm proud of what we've done at Digital Leaders. 100,000 tech leaders all committed to transformation in one place is very influential. And we've just launched our new platform called Transform for our members. Um, and it's free to join right. to, uh, digital leaders. But we've just launched this new platform. And this is a place where people can share and create cohorts together um, and collaborate. And I think that's the way that we will create a difference because we believe 
if you want to change the world, change the narrative. And that's the platform we create is to people to tell stories. I like it. Well, that sounds like a good place to transition into our lightning round. Okay, cool. So how this works is I'm going to ask you the question and you are going to say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh my God, I'm not ready. I'm not... <laughs> That's okay. All right, here we go. So the one book I would recommend to all listeners is? Oh, I've got so many. Um, I would choose an author rather than a book. And that author would be Yuval Noah Harari, the Israeli historian, who is just so forward thinking. His concept of the future of work, for example, is that it's not the absence of jobs through automation that we should be worried about, but it is going to be a critical skill to have to reinvent ourselves every 10 years or less. That is going to be the consequence of the fourth industrial revolution. And I think that's so smart and forward thinking. Lifelong learning, super important. Oh, I have to read that book. Mm. If you could have lunch with one person, who would it be and why? It would be the Dalai Lama. And it would be the Dalai Lama because he's funny. I met him two years ago, very briefly. And he said to me, if you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito in the room. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's devastatingly simple and smart. And then he sent me off to meet Jeffrey, who is an ex-UN hostage negotiator. And I found myself on a 10-day course in France, learning about non-violent communication. And this was super interesting because Jeffrey said these words. I came out of my tent in Syria and I was faced with a terrorist who had a Kalashnikov to my guide's head. And I suddenly realized that when all you've got are your words to defend yourself, you tend to choose them rather carefully. So <laughs> this whole course, um, he has, he has um, helped to deliver based on Marshall Rosenberg's theories of nonviolent communication. And this is how I have managed to navigate the boardroom because we have lots of people with lots of agendas around the boardroom table. And I have learned how to meet everyone's needs without offering compromise. It's fascinating. I love that. I would never, yeah. ever want to be in that situation, but I can imagine <laughs> that when you are, yeah, again, if you can even get any words out other than please don't. <laughs> <laughs> which, which might, exactly, which might be a trigger. So, you know, <laughs> It, right. it is so, I can tell you a 10 day course was, um, was draining, but exhilarating all at the same time. Oh my Lord. All right. The one thing people would be most surprised to learn about you is. Oh, I think it would be that I am the proud owner and rider of a Kawasaki Ninja motorbike. What? That, okay, I'm, that is, I am, I am surprised about that. <laughs> so I, my husband gave me motorbike lessons when I was 50. I'm now 55. Um, and I 
learnt and passed my tests and I now ride uh to streets um, of london on your kawasaki motorbike <laughs> i go i go to the ace cafe and have a greasy breakfast on a sunday morning and hang out with all the cool cats so yeah to the to the ace cafe so it's very very cool it's just something different it is quite surprising when i turn up and take my helmet off and we've all got gray hair at the ace cafe i think it's funny <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool that, that is very cool is it exciting to to ride a motorbike? I think anything that's quite scary and life threatening is is exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> for all okay. concerned. Okay, good to know. <laughs> I don't know if I have that same sentiment, but that is very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, it, it depends on your level of, of risk yes. uh, appetite. Yes. And uh, I think mine's reasonably high. No, that is very cool. I love it. All right. And the advice I would give my 15 year old self would be you don't have to behave like a man to make it. And I certainly did that in my early career. I think there are probably some people out there who think, God, she was a real Alpha Zilla, um, the boss from hell. And it was because in a very male-dominated technology industry with all the pressure that comes with making personal progress, I think I did become very controlling, very straight-lined, very black and white, um, aggressive versus assertive. And it wasn't until... I wanted to make the shift from manager to leader that I learned some really powerful life lessons in empowering the team that worked for me and setting them free. And honestly, when I realized that it is so much more productive when you give people the space to be amazing, then it's one of those things that just sets you free. So that would be my advice to my younger self is that you don't need to eat razor blades for breakfast. All right, so there you go. A little parting advice for all of our female listeners. You don't have to behave like a man to make it. Now, if you want to find out more about Jacqueline and Tech UK, head on over to our website, digileaders.com forward slash podcast, and we have links to all of that information there. Next week, we are joined by the CEO of Nominate, Russell Haworth. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast via iTunes so you do not miss it. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Tara Ferguson. Have a great week. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Digital Leaders 